0: Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused in security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country, and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. Well, I thought I might take a break from the podcast this week, but there is new and almost universally bad news related to just about everything I talked about in episode 56, so I figured I'd swing back here to give my take on at least part of it. As I've mentioned in the last few episodes, I did recently start an email list to give folks a ping when a new episode comes out and to create a more direct way for people to get in touch with me if you want to share your thoughts on the show or suggest a topic you'd like me to cover. It really has been nice to hear from some of the people uh, who are listening to OK Talks. Uh, It's been fun to be able to answer, I hope satisfactorily, some of the questions I've gotten on here. OKTalksPodcast at gmail.com if you want to join or reach out to me. Also, please do go ahead, as always, and share the show with anybody you think might get something out of it. So I discussed in episode 53 the series of events leading to the rather hilarious, profoundly schadenfreude-inducing defenestration of Kevin, my Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. It has been pretty funny, albeit terrifying when one considers the implications for basic American governance and America's role on the world stage, to watch the House Republicans basically flail around and eat a bunch of their own, lurching back and forth from one nominee to the next over the last couple weeks. It was heartening to see them appear for a second to overcome their worst instincts as a group when they ended up rejecting Jim Jordan. But where they ultimately landed by, just now as they have earlier today, elevating Representative Mike Johnson to the Speakership is scary for a number of reasons, and in ways that undermine that one brief moment of, oh well, maybe some of them aren't as bad as we thought, that we all had when they voted down Jordan a couple of days ago. I've suggested on a number of episodes now that in a situation where Congress is so evenly divided, where a certain number of the Republican caucus are so radically unaligned with the basic principles of American democracy which other Republicans claim to still stand for, that the most responsible approach to the situation is that a large number of Democrats and some number of the more potty-trained Republicans get together to pick some consensus candidate and work on a power-sharing agreement, as would happen in just about any other mature democracy. It is possible that My now years of living in a country with such a system has rubbed off on me and led me to be extra predisposed to that sort of parliamentary government-style solution. And I thought that maybe, finally, we were heading in that direction in the midst of the last few weeks of chaos and craziness within our current status quo. I naively allowed myself a rare moment of optimism. Maybe some number of Republicans are tired enough of being held hostage by their most extreme members that they would do the right and obvious thing and work out a bipartisan coalition agreement. I mean, here's a brief summary of the last couple steps in this whole chaotic, dysfunctional mess. Noted crazy person Jim Jordan, who's been called by former colleagues of his own party both a straight-up Christian nationalist and a legislative terrorist, Jordan failed multiple times to get the gavel because a relatively small number of more apparently moderate Republicans were willing to publicly oppose Jim Jordan despite all of the bullying and threats from the MAGA types. And then on a secret ballot, like half the GOP caucus voted against him. Then they tried Tom Emmer, who is by no means a moderate, but at least isn't quite as deep in lunatic, anti-democracy, election-denial, conspiracy as some of the others. Emmer had the support of the vast majority of the Republican caucus, but then the same hardline lunatics who caused this whole crisis wouldn't back him, so he ended up having to drop out. Now, I would have thought that Emmer also not working would have been enough to cause a couple of Republicans, at least a few of the ones in Biden districts who are going to be very vulnerable in 2024, to finally say, all right, this is getting ridiculous. Let's get Liz Cheney in here. Let's get Mitt Romney in here. I don't know, let's get some palatable, obviously pro-democracy Republican and go to the Democrats and see if we can get them on board with some sort of power-sharing agreement. But instead, they decided to turn over one more rock and outcrawled this creep Mike Johnson, Now, I am hardly Jake Sherman. Let's see how many of you get that extremely nerdy reference. But I am, I would say, more than just a casual observer of Congress. That's especially true of the loudest and most shamefully crazy members of Congress, some of whom sadly exist in my own party, as recent events have reminded me. But I have to admit to you, I had literally never heard of Mike Johnson until about two days ago. But it turns out that he's basically just Jim Jordan with a better haircut and an indoor voice. Mike Johnson was one of the key architects of what we might call the Congressional Section of the Trump coup strategy after the 2020 election. He is in favor of a total national ban on abortion without exceptions for rape, incest, or life of the mother. He's also, like, aggressively homophobic or heterosexist. He, in the past, has advocated for the criminalization of gay sex, and this is not for the record like a super old guy, which to me makes it kind of worse. What's scary about this is not just what Mike Johnson could do to the country as Speaker of the House I'll get to my analysis of the direct political consequences of his winning the gavel in a minute. The real reason this scares me is because it snuffs out even the tiny little light of naive optimism that I referenced before. See. Mike Johnson is every bit the insurrectionist opponent of American democracy that Jim Jordan is, meaning that the fact that a number of quote-unquote moderate Republicans apparently could not stomach Jim Jordan but are okay with Johnson would seem to imply that their opposition to Jordan wasn't about principle at all, it was just about public relations. I mean, okay, yes. I was certain, in the case of a decent number of the people who were opposing Jordan, that their aversion to him wasn't primarily about principle, but rather that when it comes to the sort of big-ticket fundraising at which speakers usually need to excel, Jim Jordan would almost certainly suck, since he plays so badly among the kinds of people who recognize that the Earth revolves around the Sun. And, you know, that's where most of the money is. But I thought that at least some of them also opposed Jordan on principle because he's, you know, a lunatic theocrat bent on turning America into at least Hungary, if not taking us all the way to Gilead from The Handmaid's Tale. But no. Turns out not even five members of the Republican House could be found who would put country ahead of party and work with Democrats on a consensus instead of elevating somebody who is basically a quieter and potentially more dangerous version of Jim Jordan. But here we are. Three weeks in which one of America's three branches of government was effectively closed for business at a time when we're like T-minus 20 days till the next potential government shutdown and a major war may be about to break out in the Middle East as a result of an almost unbelievably barbaric terrorist slaughter of the civilians of America's closest ally in the region. Three weeks consumed by ridiculous dysfunction showing yet again that the American Republican Party is not organized enough to administer a street fair much less the single most powerful and important government in the world, particularly at a time of crisis. Three weeks of nonsense. And this, this is what America got. Basically, we traded a soulless hack who would do almost anything that the extreme right and Donald Trump told him to for a true believer right-wing extremist crazy person who may or may not have any better luck than Kevin McCarthy did convincing his slim, slim majority to follow him in lockstep. I rather doubt it. Now, there will almost certainly be an attempt to frame Johnson becoming the Speaker as some sort of tactical error on the part of the Democrats, and especially the Democratic leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries, given the notion that the trade I outlined above is a bad one. I've already started seeing this from people that I am a big fan of and whose views I respect, people like Max Boot, who tweeted, and I quote, So Democrats refused to support Kevin McCarthy against a far-right revolt and ended up with an ultra-MAGA speaker who is hostile to Ukraine aid. Genius, unquote. Then there's the Washington Post editorial board, which opined before Johnson was picked that the Democrats should basically go out of their way to help a more sane Republican speaker take the gavel in order to get the government back on track and hope that somebody less crazy than, say, Mike Johnson ended up as speaker. And I don't know, maybe I will end up wishing that the Democrats had helped, say, Tom Emmer, the guy who struck out right before Johnson, since Emmer was the least crazy person the Republicans proposed. He keeps getting credit for having not been one of the Republicans who voted to overturn the 2020 election, but I'm sorry, that in itself is a perfect example of how far the Overton window has shifted on what does and doesn't count as crazy. Like, okay. Emmer didn't vote to straight-up reject the results of an election that the guy in charge of election security at the time has called the, quote, most secure election in U.S. history, unquote. But Emmer still signed on to a lawsuit filed by Texas to throw out the results in a whole bunch of states whose votes the Attorney General of Texas didn't want to see counted. Emmer signed on to this ridiculous lawsuit, but didn't vote to overturn the election on the very same day that insurrectionists breached the Capitol and tried to murder the Vice President in order to impede the certification process. That is what passes for not crazy these days? Unless there were some serious concessions in terms of, like, modernizing the House rules for bringing bills to the floor to be voted on, keeping the government open, raising the debt ceiling, other, like, basic day-to-day governance stuff that Republicans routinely gum up, I have no reason to believe that a Speaker Tom Emmer would behave any better in the role than did Kevin McCarthy, I'm also not aware of any such concessions having been offered in exchange for some Democratic support for an Emmer speakership. Or, I should say, McCarthy, whose disastrous speakership some people keep insisting the Democrats should have just swooped in and saved, just because... So then, why should Democrats lend their imprimatur to some hypothetical Republican without any sort of actual agreement of cooperation? If Emmer or some other hypothetical not-quite-as-bad-as-Johnson Republican behaved just about as badly as previous Republican House speakers, it'll be a lot harder for Democrats to then run against that person when they've tacitly signed off on that person's speakership. Democrats are ready to govern, something that the same Republicans claim to also want, but which the extremists in their party clearly don't. Democrats had signaled, multiple times, in public and in private, an openness to negotiating a power-sharing agreement. Five Republicans. Ideally more, but literally five Republicans. That's all that it would have taken. And by the way, those five hypothetical Republicans, they could have written their own tickets here. The Democrats surely would have made them chairs of whatever committee they asked for. Probably would have promised to not make a serious run against them in the next election. Furthermore, a hypothetical power-sharing agreement wouldn't have meant, like, ramming through super-progressive legislation because, I mean, conservatives are still in the majority. This would not have resulted in... Of single-payer healthcare, massive restrictions on gun ownership, or free abortion on demand at the McDonald's drive through All that this would mean is that broadly agreed upon things like aid to Ukraine and Israel, more resources to the border, keeping the government from shutting down, things like that would pass without a bunch of hassle. But instead, Speaker Mike Johnson is now likely to block a bunch of those priorities which a decent number of moderate Republicans strongly support. Point being, if, under those circumstances, not even five Republicans were willing to even come and talk about it, yeah, I don't see why the Democrats should have folded here to basically save the Republicans from elevating a bona fide crazy person. It would have made the Democrats look weak, which is bad from both an electoral standpoint and from a negotiating standpoint when you're up against a party that routinely likes to take hostages in a way that I describe in more detail in episode 52. I mean, let's be clear. Mike Johnson is an enemy of American democracy. The guy who is now third in line to the presidency is somebody who worked very hard to destroy the entire electoral process by which we pick the people who are first and second in line to the presidency. He also really has very little experience as to how to do this job, which you know, Kevin McCarthy who had more experience sure didn't make look easy. Mike Johnson's only been in the House for a few years, and my understanding is that his biggest thing up until now has been coordinating the efforts to undermine the 2020 election. As Republican Senator and former presidential nominee Mitt Romney put it, Well, apparently experience isn't necessary for the Speaker job. We're down to folks who haven't had a leadership or a chairmanship role, which means their administration of the House will be a new experience for them, unquote. Side note, anybody else just loving this new all-out-of-fucks-to-give Mitt Romney? My point is this, though. Like, yeah, Mike Johnson's going to be a terrible Speaker of the House, but you know what? They chose him, all of them. The extreme right flank in the Republican caucus in the House made this happen by throwing out Kevin McCarthy for being not quite slavishly loyal enough. And the rest of the Republican House conference bitched and moaned about it and got all mad at Matt and Gates and the other crazies who put them in this position. But then at the end of the day, they gave in to the crazies and elevated a guy who is, as I say, Basically just Jim Jordan with a jacket on. And the Republicans barely hold the House. They have a majority that you can literally count on one hand. Meanwhile, almost 20 of them represent districts where Biden beat Trump in the 2020 election. And every single one of those people whose re-election depends on them working desperately to prove that they are not crazy or dramatically out of step with mainstream American values, every one of them just came out and voted for a guy who believes that gay sex should be illegal, as should abortion in all cases, and also elections maybe shouldn't be how we choose leaders in this country. (laughs) Boy, I sure hope none of those people bought anything too nice for their offices, because I assume that the Democrats are going to spend the next year trying to tie every single one of them to every fuck-up or otherwise crazy thing Mike Johnson does. Now, I may not be that worried about the political implications of this new crazy person being the Speaker, But (laughs) unlike many in the Republican Party, it would appear, I do care rather a lot about the basic functioning of the American government and the U.S.'s standing in the world. So, yeah, from that standpoint, I'm really worried about this. But, I mean, Kevin McCarthy was also terrible. That being said, though, he probably had a bit more leeway with and loyalty from the more moderate members of the GOP caucus. Mike Johnson... only been there a few years. He didn't become speaker because of his deep knowledge of his caucus, influence with his colleagues, and goodwill. He became speaker because the GOP caucus has already chewed up and spit out like five others and the relative moderates just got tired and folded. But I don't think that the less crazy Republicans have a whole ton of enthusiasm or loyalty for their new speaker. All of which is to say, when the Senate passes a bipartisan bill to, for example, keep the government up and running at mutually agreed levels or send aid to Ukraine and Israel, which solid bipartisan majorities in the House support. My guess is that if Mike Johnson insists on sticking to the Republicans' quote-unquote Hastert rule, named for former Speaker and convicted pedophile Benny Hastert, the Hastert rule for anybody who doesn't know is a ridiculous and entirely made-up rule that a Republican Speaker shouldn't even allow the House to vote on a bill unless that bill has the support of a majority of the Republican members of the conference. In practical terms, that is to say, if Johnson stands in the way of things that a lot of people want done, including people in his own party, my guess is that those bills will end up being voted on via discharge petitions, which are basically a mechanism by which an absolute majority of the House can force a floor vote on a bill. They're not super common, but as I say, a lot of Republicans don't want to abandon America's allies or wantonly shut down the government at a time of crisis, so... I'm guessing that some of them at least will sign on to discharge petitions to get must-pass legislation around Speaker Mike Johnson. But hey, maybe I'm just being naively optimistic again. Wouldn't be the first time. In any case, that's it for this episode of OK Talks. There have been a ton of developments out of the Middle East that I wanted to talk about this week, but it's way past my bedtime, so I think I'll save the next updates from there for another episode. If you're liking the show and want to make sure not to miss the next episode, hit subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast, or shoot me an email at oktalkspodcast at gmail.com to be added to the email list. If you really want to do me a solid, please do go ahead and share the show with anybody you think might enjoy it. Thanks to anybody who has, thanks in advance to anyone who will, thanks as always to Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork, and to everyone else for listening.